up, he said, What is Wild Dog doing here? And the woman said, His name is not Wild Dog anymore, but the first friend, because he will be our friend for always and always and always. That's a quote from Rudyard Kipling. Dog research has blossomed in recent years. New findings concerning dog cognition, sociability, and domestication have expanded our understandings of man's best friend. Today I want to share with you a recent article which helps to pin down the origins and initial dispersion of domestic dogs into North America. I'm Greg Batchelder. Thank you for joining me and welcome to the Milk of Adhumla. The new article is titled Dog Domestication and the Dual Dispersal of People and Dogs into the Americas. It was published in the journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America, that's upon us. Now, a team of researchers that were led by Dr. Angela Perry from the Department of Archaeology at Durham University in the UK looked at the archaeological and genetic records of ancient people and dogs. Um, now, what they did, they analyzed previously sequenced um, mitochondrial genomes of more than 200 dogs from different places in the world. Um, some of these came from skeletons, mostly burials, that were dating back uh, at least 10,000 years. Um, now, they show that all of the ancient American dogs carry a certain genetic signature um, that they call um, A to B. And it suggests that they splintered into four groups about 15,000 years ago as they populated different parts of North America. Now, the, one of the co-authors, Dr. Laurent France, a researcher at the Department of Veterinary Sciences at the Lud Ludwig Maximilian University and the School of Biological and Chemical Sciences at Queen Mary University of London, quotes that from the genetic signatures of ancient dogs, we now know that they must have been present somewhere in Siberia before migrating to the Americas. You know, and this kind of maps up with some of the original ideas um, from DNA um, research suggesting that there was a, a one point and a certain spot in time where, where um, uh, an ancestor of wolves was first domesticated and became what we know as, as dogs. Now, there had been some theories recently about um, multiple areas where this might have taken place, but now, you know, looking a little bit deeply at it, it seems like it's probably just one area where it happened. And then I think back to a article um, that we read in a Paleo-Indian class when I was working on my master's with Dr. Jason LaBelle, shout out, um, that I think that I'm trying to remember and I should have pulled it up, sorry. I think the article was written by, um, um, I can't remember his name, Fidel, I think at the University of Wyoming, talking about how many dogs um, groups that first migrated um, into Beringia and then further south into the Americas may have had with them. And you think about how 
beneficial having a, a, a group of dogs would have been. Um, they can pull Travi. Um, they, of course, help with hunting, um, help protect the camp from dangers, clean up the camp by eating refuse and things like that. And if you're short on meat and food, you can butcher them and eat them. And also the fur um, makes really good linings for shoes and gloves and, and things like that. So they would have been indispensable on a migration into uh, into the Americas. Um, now, the timing and location of these different splits actually mirror those of ancient Native American groups. And that's what they did is they looked at these genetic mutations and found that the the DNA signatures from the dogs were matching those of the different groups geographically and temporally. I hope I say that right. Um, so all of those people are descendants of groups scientists call the native ancestral Native Americans um, that first arose in Siberia around 21,000 years ago. This is all genetically speaking. Um, those humans must have brought dogs with them when they entered the Americas uh, around 16,000 years ago. If we're talking coming through the ice-free corridor from Beringia into the southern United States. Now there's other migration theories out there. Um, there definitely could have been coastal migration, which would have been different groups. There's been some interesting recent theories and research about possibly a Pacific crossing and then the Salutrian hypothesis that talk about an Atlantic um, crossing coming through the ice sheets and into um, um, the, the northeastern part of, of the United States and North America. So this is just specifically talking about that Siberia to Beringia and into um, the, the U.S. Now, all of the ancient American dogs uh, eventually vanished um, those those um, those direct descendants. Possibly what explains this is when the Europeans came with their dogs, they kind of um, kind of like what happened with humans and Neanderthals. They for one way or another, the other lineages kind of died out or just were mixed so much that it, the European genes kind of took over. Um, as far as I understand it. Now, remember, I'm not an expert on any of this stuff. I'm just trying to explain um, this other research. Now, the A2B dogs descended from a canine um, ancestor that lived in Siberia about 23,000 years ago. And um, which were in that area, it was a, a genetic group known as the ancient North Siberians. Um, this group like started coalescing around 31,000 years ago and lived in a relatively temperate part of um, northeastern Siberia and they were around there for thousands of years. Now they mixed with the population that was the ancestral Native American population before that population came into the Americas. Now obviously they were exchanging dogs and trade and things like that. So that created this group of domesticated dogs that would then enter into the Americas with those um, ancestral Native Americans and then splitting into the other Native American groups as they filled the continent. Um, and then also dogs from this area, from these groups, um, went south, west, and west into other parts of Eurasia and eventually all over the world. Um, 
So yeah, so now there's a little disclaimer. Um, they only looked at the mitochondrial DNA, and that's just a small fraction of any um, animal's genome. And you know, if you want to get a, a real full picture, which is really starting to happen more and more, you got to look at the entire genome. Um, so a quote from uh, co-author Laurent France. Um, he also says the only thing that they know for sure is that dog domestication did not take place in the Americas, and from this genetic signature that they have right now, um, they know that they must have been present in Siberia before migrating into the Americas. Um, Co-author um, Gregor Larson from Oxford University says, "Quote: Researchers have previously suggested that dogs were domesticated across Eurasia from Europe to China, and many places in between." Um, the combined evidence from ancient humans and dogs is helping to refine our understanding of the deep history of dogs, and now points towards Siberia and Northeast Asia as a likely region where dog domestication was initiated. Uh, Co-author David Meltzer of Southern Methodist University, and I think he was Dr. Jason LaBelle's advisor, and I took classes with La Dr. LaBelle at um, Colorado State University. Uh, he quotes, we have long known that the first Americans must have possessed well-honed hunting skills, the geological know-how to find stone and other necessary materials, and been ready for new challenges. The dogs that accompanied them as they entered this completely new world may have been as much a part of their cultural repertoire as the stone tools they carried. Yeah, which only makes sense, and that's what I alluded to earlier with migration and how the dogs would, would definitely help with that there's so much to talk about as far as um, dog domestication um, goes and what they actually did for humans you know <clears throat> if you look at they started being domesticated around 30,000 years ago that's also when we start to get this this fluorescence this this blossoming of art you know that we see um, um, cave art and rock art and and lots of body decoration and things like that and these larger social groups now it could be argued that wolves which dogs descended domesticated dogs descended from were domesticated from are actually better socially than humans are um <laughs> they don't seem to kill each other on a regular basis like like humans do homo sapiens do and they have also have very complex social structures and if you ever watch domestic dogs play you can see this happen you can see like a big dog play with a puppy and not hurt it or a big dog and a smaller dog come up to each other that don't know each other and <clears throat> can read cues and signals really quickly and figure out how to play and interact with each other at an amazing speed and they seem in a lot of ways to just be better socially than humans are maybe we learn some of our social behavior from dogs and there are theories about that but i'm not going to go into that today i do want to touch on 
the study and the ology of um, studying dogs within past and, and present human societies, and that's called ethnosynology. It's a part of anthropology, and um, I'm going to kind of quote the definition here. It encompasses the theories of dog domestication, the role dogs play in various cultures, and the biological adaptations that have evolved between humans and dogs. Now, there's a guy I love. He's got a YouTube channel, Instagram. Um, and a website, and I'm going to give you his website. His name is David Ian Howe, and I'm trying to get him on the Milk of Adhumla for an interview, which he said he's going to do, but he's really busy right now, so so stay tuned for that. And you can get all his stuff um, if you just go to David Ian Howe, all one word, um, dot com, David Ian Howe dot com. And so give him a plug, David. I'm out. I'm, I'm giving you a plug. Come on the show. <laughs> so what I wanted to talk about, and this is I got from him really are the different theories about dog domestication. I wanted to just touch on that and then we'll kind of end the podcast there. And oh, just another note, this will become a YouTube video. I wanted to get the podcast out there first and I'm, I'm going to make the video sometime this week. So be stay tuned stay tuned for the uh, uh, YouTube video soon to come so the first you have t- different two different types of theories natural selection theories and artificial selection theories or controlled evolution the first two natural selection theories um, one is the self-domestication hypothesis or the flight distance hypotheses and from my understanding um, dogs started getting more docile genes and so what happens is these animals with more docile genes are more apt to hang around human camps and humans they're less fearful you know some animals are when they see a human they just immediately run away because of this um, fear and this flight distance. So flight referring to running away, uh, like the uh, the flight, re- the stress response, of fight or flight. So they run away. So now maybe outcast wolves that were looking for a food source um, and which humans provided um, with their trash middens and things like that. Over generations, these would pass on genes that were Uh, more docile and eventually they became like proto-dogs. Now I guess this theory has been written a lot um, with the um, Coppingers and I'll I'll put uh, links in the description where you can you can look up this research. Now the second hypothesis, natural selection theory, is a symbiotic mutualism hypothesis. This suggests that wolves and humans are equals in the animal kingdom which means that they share the same environments, um, they look for the same types of prey animals, they both have complex social structures. So again, over time, more docile wolves, rather than competing for these resources with humans, would hang around human camps and kill sites to clean up the unused portions of the kills. Now, humans, yeah, the kill sites like this, they, they would create a lot of waste. There's this weird idea that, I don't know, it's maybe new agey kind of thing that, you know, native peoples and ancient peoples used every part of an animal. That's just 
ridiculous. Sometimes when you would have a kill, you would have an excess of certain parts of the animal, and there's just some parts that you wouldn't eat or use. So there's always going to be waste involved.、Um, and so yeah, wolves would naturally hang around these areas and, and get a free meal. Now then, there's two artificial selection theories.、Um, this is controlled evolution. The first one is the captive wolf hypothesis, and this was put forth by Germanpre. I hope I get the word right, the name right. And there's a few articles. I'll put links in the description. And this stems from the idea that ancient humans would have been trapping wolves for their meat and their fur. And then over time, these wolves would eventually become domesticated.、Um, kind of makes sense. I wouldn't want to be the first humans to begin trapping wolves, and、um, <laughs> that seems like a very dangerous、um, um, occupation to have. Now, the second of these artificial selection theories、um, is the pet wolf or Pinocchio hypothesis. This suggests that、um, humans would have adopted pups、um, that had less aggressive traits. So maybe you see a wolf pup that's hanging around the camp, whimpering and not running away. You might adopt it and start to train it. Now, you can't. Anybody that's been around purebred wolves, they're really, really hard to train. They're not dogs. And so I don't really buy this. And also, I'd listen to David How- Even How talk about this, and he doesn't really buy it either. Maybe it happened later, like after there was already some domestication、um, taking place, and that this would have taken generations. Okay, so we got the different、um, hypotheses. Now, I wanted to just touch on、uh, the domestic fox experiment, which was、uh, a Russian geneticist. I'm gonna butcher his name. Sorry, Dmitry Konstantinovich Belyev, <laughs> who was a Russian geneticist and director of the Institute of Cytology and Genetics in the Soviet Union. And back in the 1950s, he wanted to look at the genetic basis of distinctive behavioral and physiological attributes of domesticated animals. So him and his team started. Breeding silver fox,、uh, the vulpes vulpes, and selecting、um, animals to re- reproduce for mating, those that showed less fear of humans. So, like that flight response thing. And after only a few generations of controlled breeding, he had a population that no longer showed fear of humans, and they also started doing things like wagging their tails. Licking their human caretakers, and they also began to change、um, their appearance. Like puppies started being born with spotted coats, floppy ears, curled tails, and things like that, like we see in domesticated dogs.、Um, so a really interesting experiment. You can Google it. There's lots of videos and things like that. And this kind of shows how how quickly an animal like that can be. Domesticated, at least shown to have domesticated traits. Now, a domesticated fox is a domesticated fox, and it's not a dog. So,、um, don't get the idea that、um, that dogs and domesticated foxes are the same. Okay.、Um, now, I want to just talk about one finding that's kind of controversial, but it talks about how long.、Um, 
this domestication may have taken place. This is at the Goyet Cave in Belgium. Now this is very, very far west from Siberia, obviously. So it, it would have took a long time, but they have what they suggest is a 36,000 year old skull of a proto dog. And again, this is in Germanpre et al. 2009. Now, genetic studies kind of suggest that it's more related to a wolf than a dog. Um, but, you know, if it's this suggests maybe that domestication was already taking place, like some kind of proto dog. Um, so, and again, David Ian House says this process of domestication had probably been going on a long time before that. So we have maybe evidence of this proto dog going back as far as 36,000 years. So that may push back this domestication process even further than, than people think. So I kind of want to wrap it up there. Again, I'll put links in the description. Stay tuned for the YouTube channel um, video that will be coming out. Um, thanks to all my listeners. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, people, always, always, always stay gold.